Part the Second, Chapter Five of Jude the Obscure by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The schoolmaster sat in his homely dwelling attached to the school, both being modern erections, and he looked across the way at the old house in which his teacher, Sue, had a lodging. The arrangement had been concluded very quickly. A pupil-teacher who was to have been transferred to Mr. Phillotson's school had failed him, and Sue had been taken as stopgap. All such professional arrangements as these could only last till the next annual visit of Her Majesty's inspector, whose approval was necessary to make them permanent. Having taught for some two years in London, though she had abandoned that vocation of late, Miss Bridehead was not exactly a novice, and Phillotson thought there would be no difficulty in retaining her services, which he already wished to do, though she had only been with him three or four weeks. He had found her quite as bright as Jude had described her, and what master tradesman does not wish to keep an apprentice who saves him half his labour. It was a little over half-past eight o'clock in the morning, and he was waiting to see her cross the road to the school, when he would follow. At twenty minutes to nine she did cross, a light hat tossed on her head, and he watched her as a curiosity. A new emanation, which had nothing to do with her skill as a teacher, seemed to surround her this morning. He went to the school also, and Sue remained governing her class at the other end of the room all day under his eye. She certainly was an excellent teacher. It was part of his duty to give her private lessons in the evening, and some article in the code made it necessary that a respectable elderly woman should be present at these lessons, when the teacher and taught were of different sexes. Richard Phillotson thought of the absurdity of the regulation in this case when he was old enough to be the girl's father. But he faithfully acted up to it, and sat down with her in a room where Mrs. Hawes, the widow at whose house Sue lodged, occupied herself with sewing. The regulation was indeed not easy to evade, for there was no other sitting-room in the dwelling. Sometimes, as she figured, it was arithmetic that they were working at. She would involuntarily glance up with a little inquiring smile at him, as if she assumed that, being the master, he must perceive all that was passing in her brain as right or wrong. Phillotson was not really thinking of the arithmetic at all, but of her, in a novel way which somehow seemed strange to him as preceptor. Perhaps she knew that he was thinking of her thus. For a few weeks their work had gone on with a monotony which in itself was a delight to him. Then it happened that the children were to be taken to Christminster to see an itinerant exhibition, in the shape of a model of Jerusalem to which schools were admitted at a penny a head in the interests of education. They marched along the road two and two, she beside her class with her simple cotton sunshade, her little thumb cocked up against its stem, and Phillotson behind in his long dangling coat, handling his walking-stick genteelly in the musing mood which had come over him since her arrival. The afternoon was one of sun and dust and when they entered the exhibition-room few people were present but themselves. The model of the ancient city stood in the middle of the apartment, and the proprietor, with a fine religious philanthropy written on his features, walked round it with a pointer in his hand, showing the young people the various quarters and places known to them by name from reading their Bibles—Mount Moriah, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the city of Zion, the walls and the gates outside one of which there was a large mound like a tumulus, and on the mound a little white cross. The spot, he said, was Calvary. "'I think,' 
said Sue to the schoolmaster, as she stood with him a little in the background, that this model, elaborate as it is, is a very imaginary production. How does anybody know that Jerusalem was like this in the time of Christ? I'm sure this man doesn't. It is made after the best conjectural maps, based on actual visits to the city as it now exists. I fancy we have had enough of Jerusalem, she said, considering we are not descended from the Jews. There was nothing first-rate about the place or people after all, as there was about Athens, Rome, Alexandria, and other old cities. But, my dear girl, consider what it is to us. She was silent, for she was easily repressed, and then perceived behind the group of children clustered round the model a young man in a white flannel jacket, his form being bent so low in his intent inspection of the valley of Jehoshaphat that his face was almost hidden from view by the Mount of Olives. "'Look at your cousin Jude,' continued the schoolmaster. "'He doesn't think we have had enough of Jerusalem.' "'Ah! I didn't see him,' she cried in her quick light voice. "'Jude, how seriously you are going into it!' Jude started up from his reverie and saw her. "'Oh, Sue,' he said, with a glad flush of embarrassment, "'these are your schoolchildren, of course. I saw that schools were admitted in the afternoons and thought you might come. But I got so deeply interested that I didn't remember where I was. How it carries one back, doesn't it? I could examine it for hours, but I have only a few minutes, unfortunately, for I am in the middle of a job out here." "'Your cousin is so terribly clever that she criticizes it unmercifully,' said Phillotson, with good-humoured satire. She is quite sceptical as to its correctness. "'No, Mr. Phillotson, I am not altogether. I hate to be what is called a clever girl. There are too many of that sort now answered Sue sensitively. I only meant—I don't know what I meant, except that it is what you don't understand." "'I know your meaning,' said Jude ardently, although he did not. And I think you are quite right." "'That's a good Jude. I know you believe in me.' She impulsively seized his hand, and leaving a reproachful look on the schoolmaster, turned away to Jude, her voice revealing a tremor which she herself felt to be absurdly uncalled for by sarcasm so gentle. She had not the least conception how the hearts of the twain went out to her at this momentary revelation of feeling, and what a complication she was building up thereby in the futures of both. The model wore too much of an educational aspect for the children not to tire of it soon, and a little later in the afternoon they were all marched back to Lumsden, Jude returning to his work. He watched the juvenile flock in their clean frocks and pinafores filing down the street towards the country beside Phillotson and Sue, and a sad, dissatisfied sense of being out of the scheme of the latter's lives had possession of him. Phillotson had invited him to walk out to see them on Friday evening, when there would be no lessons to give to Sue, and Jude had eagerly promised to avail himself of the opportunity. Meanwhile the scholars and teachers moved homewards, and the next day, on looking at the blackboard in Sue's class, Phillotson was surprised to find upon it, skilfully drawn in chalk, a perspective view of Jerusalem, with every building shown in its place. "'I thought you took no interest in the model, and hardly looked at it,' he said. "'I hardly did,' said she. "'But I remember that much of it.' "'It is more than I remembered myself.' Her Majesty's school inspector was at that time paying surprise visits in this neighbourhood to test the teaching unawares, and two days later, in the middle of the morning lessons, the latch of the door was softly lifted and in walked my gentleman, the king of terrors to pupil-teachers. To Mr. Phillotson the surprise was not great, 
Like the lady in the story, he had been played that trick too many times to be unprepared. But Sue's class was at the further end of the room, and her back was towards the entrance. The inspector therefore came and stood behind her and watched her teaching some half-minute before she became aware of his presence. She turned and realized that an oft-dreaded moment had come. The effect upon her timidity was such that she uttered a cry of fright. Phillotson, with a strange instinct of solicitude quite beyond his control, was at her side just in time to prevent her falling from faintness. She soon recovered herself and laughed, but when the inspector had gone there was a reaction, and she was so white that Phillotson took her into his room and gave her some brandy to bring her round. She found him holding her hand. "'You ought to have told me,' she gasped petulantly, "'that one of the inspector's surprise visits was imminent. Oh, what shall I do? Now he'll write and tell the managers that I am no good, and I shall be disgraced for ever.' "'He won't do that, my dear little girl. You are the best teacher I ever had.' He looked so gently at her that she was moved, and regretted that she had upbraided him. When she was better she went home. Jude, in the meantime, had been waiting impatiently for Friday. On both Wednesday and Thursday he had been so much under the influence of his desire to see her that he walked after dark some distance along the road in the direction of the village, and on returning to his room to read found himself quite unable to concentrate his mind on the page. On Friday, as soon as he had got himself up as he thought Sue would like to see him, and made a hasty tea, he set out, notwithstanding that the evening was wet. The trees overhead deepened the gloom of the hour, and they dripped sadly upon him, impressing him with forebodings, illogical forebodings, for though he knew that he loved her, he also knew that he could not be more to her than he was. On turning the corner and entering the village, the first sight that greeted his eyes was that of two figures under one umbrella coming out of the vicarage gate. He was too far back for them to notice him, but he knew in a moment that they were Sue and Phillotson. The latter was holding the umbrella over her head, and they had evidently been paying a visit to the vicar, probably on some business connected with the schoolwork. And as they walked along the wet and deserted lane Jude saw Phillotson place his arm round the girl's waist, whereupon she gently removed it, but he replaced it and she let it remain, looking quickly round her with an air of misgiving. She did not look absolutely behind her and therefore did not see Jude, who sank into the hedge like one struck with a blight. There he remained hidden till they had reached Sue's cottage and she had passed in, Phillotson going on to the school hard by. "'Oh, he's too old for her, too old!' cried Jude in all the terrible sickness of hopeless handicapped love. He could not interfere. Was he not Arabella's? He was unable to go on further and retraced his steps towards Christminster. Every tread of his feet seemed to say to him that he must on no account stand in the schoolmaster's way with Sue. Phillotson was perhaps twenty years her senior, but many a happy marriage had been made in such conditions of age. The ironical clinch to his sorrow was given by the thought that the intimacy between his cousin and the schoolmaster had been brought about entirely by himself. End of chapter 5